0: Our scripture passage today is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. It's a short passage. We are moving to the 10th commandment. And this has been a process of, uh, I guess, the last five or six months, what with interruptions and digressions as well. The 10th commandment... um, As we've been going through these commandments, I've been trying to um, use mnemonic devices in order that we would remember what the commandments are, rather than go through all ten today. I'll just give you the one for the tenth commandment. Um, Ten rhymes with den. Ten rhymes with den. And when you picture this den, in other words a house, not a fox's den or anything like that, but... uh, because it wouldn't fit if it were a fox's den. But when you picture this den, someone else's den, you picture a 144-inch large-screen television. Did it make them that big? (laughs) Well, anyway, at any rate, you can imagine it. And what you're trying to do is you remember 10 den in this large-screen television is you're trying to refrain from coveting. So verse 17 is you shall not covet and it goes on to say you shall not cover your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor let's join together in prayer Dear lord that we ask that as we come to your word this morning into this the 10th of your 10 commandments that we would be humble before you To seek what you have for us to learn, that we might grow in holiness. You have proclaimed that we are holy by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Yet you call us to holiness, to be sanctified, to become more and more pure. Because of that, we pay attention with diligence to the commands you give us in Scripture. We desire to know what it is to covet and how to avoid coveting and to seek forgiveness from this sin. So we ask that you would accomplish this through your powerful work in our heart through your Holy Spirit. I pray as we examine this commandment together, Lord, that my words might be faithful in keeping with your word because your word alone has power, shares in all of your attributes. is holy, in Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting to note, I don't know how many of you realized this in the news over the past week or so, but it's interesting to note that uh, apparently the Tennessee um, Senate has learned that we have been studying the Ten Commandments down here because they have decided, because of that news, that they want us all to post the Ten Commandments during the month of May. And that's just about the time we'll be (laughs) done. No, no, we'll be done long before then. Um, But the Ten Commandments are getting a lot of press, shall we say, these days. And some of you may not have been able to take advantage of the opportunity which we made available at the beginning of these commandments. We have some beautiful... um, This is not an ad. (laughs) If you don't know what's coming, you'll think it's an ad. But they're beautiful. um, I don't know what you call them posters of the Ten Scrolls of the Ten Commandments. Yes, indeed. And there are two or three color, I can't remember. They're gold and they're black and they're red. So um, they're beautiful and they're free. So if you don't have one or if you have one and you would like one or you want more, just see me. They're in my office. So you can tell it's not an ad. But this will help you when May comes, if you are a Tennessean, to take advantage of what the Tennessee State Senate is encouraging you to do. Before we moved to Bristol in 1986, Sandy and I lived in Massachusetts. And during our time in Massachusetts, I learned some lessons that everyone is likely to run into throughout the course of their lives. Lessons that people run into that we run into time and time again. I learned that everyone has a great curiosity about the lives of the rich and the famous. Is that true? Everyone's curious about the lives of the rich and the famous, to a greater degree or lesser. And many people try to suppress that curiosity But when we lived in Massachusetts, for instance, there were a few people who knew the name who weren't quick to ask what it was like to live with Henry Cabot Lodge, because that's where we lived for the first several months of our time in Massachusetts. Or one of the things that I did was to work with Service Master at Cabot Corporation and clean their executive headquarters in downtown Boston people were curious to know what the executive suites of Cabot Corporation, a Fortune 500 company, were like. I was shortly following the um, point at which Time Magazine printed that Robert Sharpie was the highest paid executive in the U.S., and he was the head of Cabot Corporation. Several years later, I witnessed this lesson again when Sandy and I visited Charleston, and in the course of walking through a southern city, we happened by the harbor, and we saw a fancy and large yacht. It wasn't surprising to find out that Donald Trump owned it. It wasn't surprising either to see that there was a constant stream of people passing by the yacht and asking questions of any of those who worked on the yacht who were available to be questioned. I learned also that even the rich and the famous are not always satisfied with their wealth or their fame, but would frequently like more. And I learned as well that I, living during that time in a two-room apartment on a meager income, could be and was happier than people whose wealth and possessions frequently I could only imagine. Even while, of course, I was seeking to make some of it change hands and wind up in my pocket. Now, it was through honest means, of course. But coveting is an insidious sin. And it's easy to see through these rubbing shoulders with the rich and and the famous how easy it is to fall into the sin of coveting. Coveting is a sin all by itself, different than many of the previous sins forbidden in the Ten Commandments. Because for lying, for instance, for murder for stealing, for adultery, for these and other of the commandments, we initially talk about sinful actions, murder, what is it? The killing of another human being. We talk about sinful actions, and then we have to clear away some of the actions to get closer to see the sinful thoughts that also are breaking these commandments. But for coveting, the sin is in the mind and the heart first. Then it exhibits itself in other sins which take the form of sins that are not called coveting. More often than not, this sin of coveting is borne out in the sins of getting. In other words, the way things are gotten. Or seeking to take that which you covet. Many people are determined that if someone else has what they want and they cannot get it themselves then, at the very least, they are going to keep others from having it and enjoying it. So we look to our passage and we look throughout Scripture to see the evidence of covetousness. Covetousness is not an insignificant sin. It's not something small, something meager, something that doesn't really matter. Even though we could convince ourselves that it was, because... After all, it's the last of the Ten Commandments. And after all, how do you define it if it's a sin of the mind and of the heart? This commandment was instrumental particularly in the temptations of Adam in the garden and Christ in the wilderness. If it was a small sin, how could it be involved in the sin that brought sin into our realm? And in the failure to sin or the refusal to sin that kept, that enabled us to be forgiven by Christ's refusing to fall to temptation. Genesis 3, verse 1 speaks of the serpent, Satan talking with Eve. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Ah. What is he being asked to do in that situation and circumstance? Oh, I can be like God. Hey, now that's an idea. Knowing good from evil. This is something I don't yet have. Beautiful garden, yes. Wonderful fruit, yes. No work that makes me sweat, yes. All of these things, good. But there's at least one thing I don't have. I'm not God. Matthew 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Everything. Magnificent and glorious. And then he said, All this I will give you, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. All this I will give you. In other words, you don't have it right now, but you could have it if you found the least little spark in your heart to say, oh, but I'd like it. And I'd like it now. Right now. Not tomorrow. Not in the future. Not after the resurrection. But right now. Because Christ was surely going to receive all these things and held power over all of them, did he not? So it was merely a question of timing. If covetousness was something that struck through Adam and Eve and was refused by Christ, then we know it will continue to be used on us because it began with great effectiveness in the Garden of Eden. What does Satan do? When he finds a tool effective, he does the same thing you or I do. He uses it again and again and again. Covetousness is effective, and therefore he will use it on us. There are many means used to lure us into coveting, not the least of which in our day and age is television. One of the things that's been on the news over the past several days as well is that um, there's been some debate about television programs using children's toys in their programming, and they're working on making some laws about these, because there are already some laws that forbid television programs from being based upon children's toys. What does all this mean? Why is this? Because everybody realized, if there are television programs based on children's toys, they wouldn't call it coveting, but that's what's going to happen, and the parents won't get a moment's rest. I want that. I want that. I want that. I want that. And it will go on and on and on. So, this is maybe is the parents' method of um, enabling themselves to shop more easily. I guess. I don't know. Whatever it is. <clears throat> but we do not only get tempted, lured into coveting by means of television. We also can be the means of luring one another into coveting through many different ways. <clears throat> A commentary called the Fourfold Gospel says regarding Matthew 4, verse 8, which is the passage where Satan, that I just read, where Satan took Jesus up and showed him the whole realm. It says regarding this, Many parents, in encouraging their children to seek earthly glory and distinction, unconsciously assist Satan in urging this temptation. Many parents, in encouraging their children to seek earthly glory and distinction, unconsciously assist Satan in in, in urging this temptation. Covetousness is not insignificant. It is not being satisfied with who you are and what you have. We talk a lot about self-image, self-concept. Coveting is the act, the inward act of being dissatisfied with who you are and what you have. This can be true of those who have a very little and covet a very little. I want just enough to be comfortable. If I could just get enough, then I would be comfortable. I wouldn't... How many times do we hear this reasoning and maybe do it ourselves? I don't want much, just enough. Coveting is... Not being satisfied with who you are and what you have, and it happens as well to those who have much and desire more. How many women, men and women throughout the world have been broken because not being satisfied with all of the world's riches, power, and prestige, they have reached out to grab one more piece of fruit, and that has been their undoing. Those who have the kingdoms and power of this world and yet they want more. They're not satisfied with who they are. Turn again to the example from Adam and Eve's temptation, in which the bait was to become like God. That's no small temptation. <laughs> That's taking the whole thing, isn't it? I'm not satisfied. I, this is great. The Garden of Eden's fine, but but just a little further, being like God isn't a little further, it, it's going the whole way. <clears throat> Not being satisfied with who you are and what you have. James 1.14 says, But each one of us is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. It can happen in a myriad of different ways. And it happens in all kinds of different ways. In different circumstances, at different times to each one of us. St. Augustine defines covetousness as desiring more than enough. Now, this is one of those things, the sins of the mind, it's like pride. How do you know what's good and what's too far? How do you know where covetousness is not being satisfied with who you are and what you have? Isn't Isn't that what causes us to seek to go farther, which is a good thing? Motivation? Pursuing a goal? We were talking in our Sunday school class downstairs this morning about pursuing the goal of sanctification and holiness. Isn't that good? So this definition is an excellent one in helping us discern the difference. Because in reality, coveting is something that we can rarely be sure about another person doing, but we must define it when we are doing it. We must decide when we are doing it. Coveting is desiring more than enough. Oftentimes coveting doesn't appear because it's covered over with a glossy layer of seeking to get and striving so that its presence is not always obvious for us to observe in others or to perceive in ourselves. It can be well covered up it can be made to look glossy so that we don't recognize it because it's appearing in noble, reputable clothing, such as it can go under the disguise of providing well for my family. It can be made to appear as a noble ambition or a humanitarian pursuit. It can be made to appear as I am doing something to benefit mankind. Those who are breaking their backs and causing others to suffer from their superhuman efforts to get and achieve are frequently doing the bidding of coveting. How do we recognize it in ourselves? We recognize it in ourselves by what we think about and spend our time wanting and getting. What do I think about? What do I spend my time seeking after, striving after? We recognize coveting in ourselves by observing the fruit of what we do. In other words, I have done this, but why did I do it? If it was a good goal, I've gone for this goal, maybe I've achieved it. Why? Looking to the motives. Refusing just to to accept the outward reality of things and going deeper. Looking inward, which is something that if you're like me its I'd rather just go out and do well there's I think at least I know in my, my own heart there's a reason for that because when you stop and think then you see the things that you've swept under the rug whether intentionally or unintentionally why am I doing that <clears throat> what are the objects of our coveting <clears throat> look at those things mentioned as objects of coveting In this passage, you shall not covet. What do we covet? Your neighbor's wife. Excuse me, the first one is house. I misread that. Your neighbor's house. I'd like us to think a little bit beyond just exactly what it says. Obviously, it means literally what it says. But we can expand these to include general categories of things as well. What is it talking about, your neighbor's house? It's not just talking about a house. It's talking about simple possessions or a way of life. If you live close to your neighbor, even if you don't, it doesn't take long to know the good points of his home and to compare them with your own home. Is he renovating? Yes. What's he putting in? There goes the plumber. There goes the Pateys or the Lowe's truck. There goes the finished carpenters. And we start wondering to ourselves, and we start imagining, and pretty soon we manage one way or another to find out. And when we find out, then we start thinking and comparing, because a lot of our life is built around comparisons, comparisons with those who are our peers. Am I equal to, lesser, or greater than my peers? Am I equal to, lesser, or greater than this individual? Are my possessions, do they give me more status or less status? Do I have something to, can be, to be concerned about because I'm not on a par? <clears throat> what else do we covet? His wife. We understand this in our world today. Because divorce more often than not arises out of this sin of coveting. One partner... Finally concludes, someone else is more desirable than their mate. What are we coveting when we covet another man's wife or another woman's husband? We're coveting just that. We're coveting intimate relationships. We're coveting his wife for her intelligence, her understanding, her beauty or figure, her husband for his good looks, his job. Helping around the house. Having a sympathetic ear. <clears throat> what else do we covet? It tells us not to cover his servants. His manservant or his maidservant. <clears throat> we don't have servants today. So we have to extrapolate from this. His servants show him allegiance and do him service. These things speak of his success and the devotion of others to him. His co-workers... His position, his job. We're told that we are not to covet his animals. They're not only in those days a man's wealth, but also his means to wealth. In other words, they were not only his possessions. If he put out his net worth, he would say, well, I have two, a pair of oxen and I have 100 sheep and go down the list. But the oxen were more than just listed on the net worth. They were the ability to get more. Because they would help him plow the ground. They are the tools of his trade and the essentials of his betterment. So we are not to covet his office, her salary, his or her tools. Tools? (laughs) Tools? How often do men spend their time thinking about what tools someone else has? Wishing they had those tools, because if we had those tools, boy, oh boy, we'd sure get our jobs done more quickly. We're not to covet another person's expense account. Those things that are are not only part of his or her net worth, but also the ability to achieve more and get more. We are not, and here comes the conclusive. If, If you ever thought God left anything out, just look at this last thing we are not to covet. Or anything that belongs to your neighbor. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking about that, and I, and I covet that, but that's not on the list so far. You got caught. I got caught. This includes not just possessions or way of life, but also reputation, welfare, prestige, health, position, everything that your neighbor has. Luke 14.8 says this, <clears throat> Christ is, <clears throat> is telling people how to avoid coveting. And one of those things that people do covet, which is not a, pos- a, pos- a, a possession. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. What is this individual that he's speaking to? What are we who he's speaking to there? Thinking of coveting or coveting in that situation? Another individual's prestige. I would like to be top dog. I think I'm close. I think if I asserted myself, I could bark with the best of them. That is what the person in this hypothetical situation is coveting. We are told not to covet that. Where do we covet? We covet in the privacy of our homes. And this gets to the means used, which encourage us to covet. By the means, for instance, of the constant looking at catalogs, two or three catalogs a day, I think, we generally, that's how many we get, just constantly coming in. Those who work for the US Postal Service could tell you exactly how many go through their offices back when we had the snowstorm. I was talking with John and Kathy Partain. Back when we had the snowstorm and, the, and sometimes the mailman didn't run. Some days it ran, but if you noticed it, you noticed all you got was um, um, catalogs and these sorts of things. No first class letters and anything like that. Just because they constantly have a supply of those things that they have to be sending out. And the The trucks that were bringing in the first class mail were not able to get here from Roanoke and other parts. But there was still plenty for us to do because coveting is a nationwide pastime of ours. We love to do it. We not only covet in our homes through magazines and catalogs and television, we also covet in public. When we follow the temptation with long thought, as we deal with people we might decide we could get along better with, then the spouse we are married to, the co worker we work with now, are the friends we have. We practice this nationwide pastime in malls, window shopping. All these things are not wrong, but they frequently lead us into sin. Any place and every place is ripe opportunity for covetousness. <clears throat> Next week, we'll look further to see exactly why God hates covetousness. And the most important aspect of all, what do we do when we get caught in this? How do we get out of it? How do we avoid it? Because God, as we have seen again and again, time and again, throughout the Ten Commandments, God does not give us these lessons, these commandments to beat us down and say, there is no way out because of Christ there always is a way out and we would fail the message that is the message the whole message of the gospel if we did not proclaim loudly and clearly throughout Christ is hope for all sinners and through Christ there is forgiveness for all sins let's pray your father we thank you for showing us that we are sinners That we are people who spend too much time thinking about what others have. Too much thought and effort. Wondering how we can get and seeking to get those things that we wish were ours. Keep us from the sins of coveting. Because they eat us alive. We know that you have the power to do this. And we ask you with grace and humility to do it. To accomplish this within us. We pray this. We cry aloud for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen.